Welcome to So Tell Me More, a podcast where you can join Prabnor and Navia, two psychotherapy students, as they dive into various topics through a psychotherapy lens. This podcast will get you thinking and reflecting on all things mental health, ranging from self-care to learning more about what exactly cognitive behavior therapy is. We hope you stick around. In today's episode, we are excited to learn more about private practice through our conversation with Alicia Schaefer. Alicia is a registered psychotherapist approaching a decade of experience providing leadership, education, and clinical care in the mental health and addictions field. She is the founder and director at Lotus Counseling Services, a private mental health and addictions clinic based in Waterdown, Ontario. Her passion is in creating a clinic that delivers quality psychotherapy services to clients and a healthy workplace for staff. Throughout her career, she has had the opportunity to work in numerous healthcare settings, including community outreach, withdrawal management, acute psychiatry, and private inpatient centers. We are very excited to have Alicia on our podcast today. So welcome, Alicia. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Yeah. Um, To give our listeners a little bit of context, Alicia is also one of our psychotherapy classmates and we've learned so much from her in her experiences and what she's shared in our classes. So we're excited to be able to record this episode and dive into private practice today. Absolutely. Yeah. And to give our listeners a little bit more information about what private practice is, generally when we think of accessing therapy or going for mental health support, you might think of a private practice. So sitting in a couch or sitting in a room with an individual therapist or just talking to someone. Now, a private practice can be a team of therapists. So this can include psychotherapists, social workers, psychologists, even some interns, or it can also be individually run. Now, each private practice is unique, so they may follow different therapy modalities such as CBT or ACT, and they might even specialize in particular areas such as specific phobias. So each private practice is quite unique, but they offer very helpful services and different ones for every unique person. Is there anything else you'd like to add on to what a private practice is, Alicia? Yeah, I mean, I think you definitely um, touched on a few really important parts. Um, I think at the foundation, a private practice is a mental health or addiction care setting where people generally pay through a private insurance or out of pocket, whereas the public health care setting options are covered by OHIP. So at the, at the base level, that is the fundamental difference. But obviously, there's a lot more to it. And, and you've touched on quite a few things already there, Rabnoy. I think that's really helpful to know as well, because usually we think of the hospital setting or the private practice setting. So it's nice to know even what the differences are and how those experiences can also vary. But Alicia, can you tell us a little bit more about your journey as a therapist and how you've ended up to where you are today? Yes, I'd be happy to. So I always joke that I had a quarter life crisis <laughs> when I was 25. I went back to school um, after having my daughter and decided to switch careers and get into the helping profession. So before that, I ran a business. I, I was an operations manager. But the businesses that I worked with had a lot of charity and philanthropy projects that I took place in. Um, And I found myself drawn towards those organizations. Some were like domestic violence centers, um, things like that, and and just became 
really intrigued. And so I went back to school. I started at McMaster with their addictions counseling diploma and became an addictions counselor and then just kind of couldn't learn enough about <laughs> everything there was uh, about psychiatric illnesses and addictions. So I began volunteering at the Women's Withdrawal Management Center through St. Joe's. That volunteer opportunity turned into a placement through school um, and then eventually turned into a job there with the with Womankind, it's the, the name of the organization. So yeah, so it started there and then around the time I was working with Womankind, St. Joe's launched the Concurrent Disorders Program. Um, and through my school, I became really interested and intrigued um, with co-occurring mental health and addictions. I was able to get a position with that program, and then I worked with the Concurrent Disorders program for a few years through St. Joe's and really found a special interest in providing mental health and, and addictions therapy. Continued my education through McMaster with the Clinical Behavior Science program um, where I became trained in CBT and then eventually continued when that morphed into the master's program. Um, and so that's where I find myself today, education-wise. I've worked a whole bunch of um, other places since then, which is nice. Um, but it wasn't until March 2020 that I actually left the public health care setting and went full-time into private practice. Yeah, so it's been quite a journey for you. Lots of education in between as well. And, you know, a shift as well. You mentioned when you were 25, right, to decide that I'm actually really drawn to this area of um, maybe providing community work and, and giving something back to the community. And it's so interesting to think about how that happened for you and that whole shift it wasn't what I expected <laughs> yeah it wasn't expected right and that's usually how these things happen right they, it surprises us a little bit where it's like finding myself drawn to this area and I'm so glad to hear that you explored it and you jumped into it and then it sounds like you haven't looked back since so I'm wondering then Alicia what encouraged you to work in private practice and how did that look like for you that's a good question. There were a number of factors. Some were pretty selfish, <laughs> admittedly. I, I really enjoy the business aspect of mental health care, and I was very involved in that when I was a manager at St. Joe's. And I think the decision to move towards private practice was to have less restrictions on myself in terms of how I want to operate, you know, the structure and, um, you know, the contingencies, all, all the different unique factors for providing care. I, I was drawn towards having more autonomy with that, as well as just more life flexibility for myself. You know, I am a mother and stepmother of four kids, so life is busy and, you know, there's a lot of hours that go into managing hospital clinics so i wanted you know some flexibility in my my life as well so it was a bit of a yeah like i said i was a bit self 
self-serving as well. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense, Alicia, too, after working in a hospital setting for so long. And even in my experience through my placement, just seeing like the number of hours that go into it and this idea that you're almost always on call in terms of like your clients can call you. They might be in crisis. They might need that support and having that, that availability for them is not something that you can necessarily do forever, especially as your life transitions. So I think that makes a lot of sense. I don't think of it as selfish, but really as this, it sounds like a really critical stage for you to decide you know what this business side of things is also interesting and exploring that a bit so what was that like for you and and setting up that business well as I mentioned before my previous career was in business so I I actually have a commerce degree I had like five plus years in operations before joining the mental health field so I think that the convergence of that experience and um, the clinical experience that I got along the way kind of primed me towards management or towards starting my own business Um, and I I struggled to figure out how to run a business in the public health care environment. It's a very challenging thing um, because, you know, more productivity does not equate to more money that can go back into the business. So it's actually very challenging um, to grow, to expand, to improve because you're budgeted. So, you know, it's, it's it's a different business model and one that I you know, didn't really necessarily love working within. Um, I really enjoy the fact that as our business grows, I can reinvest back into it. I can expand my services. I can, you know, get more great coffee from my clients, like just little stuff too. But um, I, I do like working in the in the private sector from a business perspective too. It just goes better with what I know. Yeah. And I think that makes total sense in terms of, you know, it fits with where you are and what you appreciate. And it sounds like it's a lot more manageable in terms of having that flexibility component to make it fit to your own schedule. And I think that's something that really appeals to me with private practice as well is that you, for the most part, get to make your own schedule because I know that uh, managing a business is so much effort and work as well. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about your own private practice, so Lotus Counseling, and how's that been going? It's great. I love it. Um, So Lotus Counseling has uh, modest roots from the Burlington Public Library, (laughs) which is where I started it out of in 2014. Um, It was actually out of a need to be able to see clients and record uh, my sessions with them in a more reliable way than I was finding I was able to do in the outdoors patient department I was working in at the time to finish my CBT level three. So I kind of started this little business just to kind of get through my school and be able to have, you know, supervision and and things like that. And it's always kind of stayed um, as this small thing that I I did on the side. There were times where I, you know, worked more part-time in the field and had more hours in my private practice. But yeah, since 2020, since going full-time it's really you know it's really really changed so i uh, came into business for myself in in march 2020 and as some of you may recall there was a lot going on at the time so it was not what i had anticipated i 
had expected to go from the busyness of the hospital to hit the ground running and uh, start my psychotherapy practice and knock on doors and go to doctor's offices and, you know, and it was like, uh, no, actually, you're going to be online and <laughs> you can't go anywhere. So it was different and it was a slower start than I would have liked, but it worked out so well because, you know, unknowingly, what has happened and, and what we've seen more and more is, you know, there's this secondary crisis going on in the world right now with mental health since COVID-19 and our business has just rapidly expanded. So we now have 10 therapists on staff. There's a full-time office administrator. Um, we've now welcomed a psychiatrist who offers consults to our clients. So the, the business just keeps expanding and you know, the need is clearly there. So I've just kind of continued to to grow the business alongside the need. And, you know, it's sometimes overwhelming to take a step back and think about how much need is there in our community. Yeah, that's such a good point, Alicia. And congratulations on your business growing that much over two years. I think that's amazing. And it's so cool to even hear a little bit about like the fact that you have 10 different, you know, 10 different people working with you and then the psychiatrist on board as well. And can you tell us a little bit more about what that structure looks like? So the types of professionals that are working with you and, and how you all collaborate? Mm -hmm, absolutely. I'll be honest, like I draw a lot from my experience at the hospital and, you know, through public health care there, um, you know, having the experience of, of managing multiple clinics, there was a lot that I liked about it. There was a lot of structure um, and there's a lot of good that can come um, out of the structure that they have. So I try to mimic some of that structure as well. Uh, we like to focus on offering evidence-based therapies. So therapies that are supported through research, you know, to be effective for certain mental health conditions. We also, um, you know, we don't have as large of a, as a structure as the hospital, obviously, but I like to think of my clinicians as a bit like the different departments at the hospital. So, you know, there's a borderline personality disorder services at the hospital, and I've got like several staff from that department there. So they have that specialization. You know, there's some folks from the concurrent disorders. I've, <laughs> I have a, a lot of staff from the hospital have migrated here with me. <laughs> um, and a lot of them actually still work there as well, too, mm -hmm. uh, and kind of do this on the side, which, which is not uncommon for, for therapists. So, yeah, so there's a lot of variation in the specialties that we offer, which I love because I'm a very big fan of this idea that, you know, you can't be everything for everyone. You can't be an expert in everything. And, you know, sometimes I tell people you should be weary of therapists out there that say that they are. Um, because I, I think that, you know, sticking to a niche and developing skills in certain areas can help develop expertise, um, you know, better and, and, and more rapidly than trying to serve everyone and do everything. Yeah, that's amazing. It's so exciting to hear that, you know, you have these little mini departments within your clinic as well or your practice. So I'm wondering, I know you touched on it a little bit, but could you talk a bit more about what are some of those specializations that you offer and also what are certain therapy modalities that you follow and even areas that you specialize in specifically? For sure. So 
I have a history of being an addiction specialist, but I have actually myself personally moved away from that and towards providing treatment for anxiety. Uh, my specific focus and passion is working with people living with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, which we've seen a, a big rise in as well since the pandemic. So I offer ERP, um, which is exposure and response prevention. I also offer acceptance and commitment therapy for OCD and for other anxiety disorders. Um, I am formally trained in CBT as well, although I would say I do use probably more of a hybrid model between CBT and ACT. I, I think CBT structure has a lot of value to it, and I think ACT is very engaging, and I, I do really enjoy the integration between the two of those therapies. I have several uh, clinicians at uh, the clinic who offer DBT, who are very, very well trained in dialectical behavior therapy. Um, one of my staff members has been doing it for 20 years and has studied under, you know, really, really well-renowned therapists as well. So we're really lucky. We have a really wide variety of skill set. We have people who specialize in addictions, people who specialize in concurrent disorders, so uh, mental health and addictions. We do a lot of family support. That's another area that I am really passionate about. I actually, I, I had a really interesting kind of change in focus. I, I moved away from providing support to people with addictions and more towards um, loved ones of people with addictions. And there's a phenomenon called codependency, which is, you know, something that people can find themselves living with. If they love someone that's living with an addiction, it can be very, very challenging on the family as well. So I really enjoy supporting people through that because that is a very difficult thing. And my, my historical kind of expertise in addiction can be helpful there. But yeah, so uh, we also offer CBT and ACT for depression. And we also see a lot of folks who are coming in because things are tough. Um, relationship dynamics have been under a lot of stress. Life in general has had transition after transition. So sometimes people are just, you know, struggling to keep up with it all, feeling overwhelmed. Um, so we don't necessarily just offer support for people with formal mental health diagnoses as well. And that is another, I think, you know, kind of circling back to the idea of private practice. It's another distinction that you'll see between the hospital where it's primarily diagnostic based, you know, so if you're coming in to support uh, at a public healthcare setting like say St. Joe's and one of their outpatient clinics, you're not necessarily going to get psychotherapy support unless you are living with a diagnosed mental health condition. Um, whereas that doesn't have to be the case in our private practice and in a lot of other private practices as well. Yeah, I've noticed that through my practicum as well, where I've uh, had the opportunity to be a part of both the hospital and in private practice setting. So I've noticed that from the very protocol-focused hospital work to I have a private uh, client that I see and we're often just talking about like daily struggles that come up or, you know, interpersonal challenges, but it's not necessarily following a proper treatment, so to say, but I love that flexibility that you can get in a private practice. So that's that's really neat to see that differentiation between the two. 
I like it too because I like to think about it as being proactive as well. I think some clients who come in who are struggling, who don't meet the diagnostic criteria for anything yet, it could be an opportunity that we're getting ahead of the manifestation of an actual mental health disorder. Like if left untreated, this could turn into depression or this could turn into an anxiety disorder. So I like to think of it a bit like preventative medicine too, which I am a big fan of. And unfortunately, I think with the pressures of the public healthcare setting, it's not something they're able to do. So I like to think of us as being able to kind of fill that gap. Yeah, I think that's such a great point, Alicia, because that early intervention can make a huge difference, right? And just the trajectory of someone's mental health concerns, and it may be diagnosis or not, but absolutely, right? Like getting that support early on when you're noticing life stressors like the pandemic, but also financial struggles, relationships, all of that, and just recognizing that life is hard and that a lot of us can use that support. So I love that you're doing that work. And you've touched a little bit on this already, this distinction between the hospital and then private practice. Are there any other areas that uh, differ between the two or also some similarities between those settings? Yeah, I think you're going to see a lot more variation across private practices. I mean, they're really kind of individual businesses. And although if I mean, if all of the therapists as part of the clinic are regulated mental health care professionals, we're all guided through, you know, ethical practice foundations, but the structure and the style can be very different. Um, so you're going to see a lot of a lot of differences, I think, from practice to practice, whereas from hospital to hospital, you're probably going to see more similarities um, across programs. I think the other thing is, and you know, again, having managed a few busy psychiatric clinics in the public healthcare setting, is that the volume of folks seeking care through the the public healthcare setting is, you know, it's it's astronomical. It's growing every year, and so you know the the main kind of thought from a from a program manager perspective is like, how do we deliver? the best care that we can while meeting the needs of the volume and the demand that we have. So it's this delicate balance of, you know, what's enough so that we can also get to the next person and so that we don't, you know, kind of bottleneck the system. We, we need to be able to move people in and out so that care can continue to happen to the new people who are experiencing mental health crisis and, and who have needs to be seen. Whereas with private practice, you know, we're not under that same amount of pressure. And as I mentioned before, you know, if, if the clinic gets to a point, which it has multiple times now over the past two years, where I've got a waiting list and people are waiting to the excess of a month or two, I'm going to hire someone and I'm going to bring someone new in because in private practice, I have the ability to do that because more clients and more appointments equals more income that I can then reinvest back into the business and continue to grow to meet the demands. Um, whereas with the public healthcare system, we have to continue to operate with the same and sometimes, unfortunately, even less year by year. So there's, there's kind of the financial constraint component. I did already kind of touch on the idea that 
most of the care at the hospital is diagnostic based. So you're not necessarily going in the hospital because you know, you're having a hard time. Um, you're going because you know, your doctors probably diagnosed you with a mental health condition or maybe you've gone to the ER because you, know, you had a panic attack or something and then you'll get connected. I think right now we're seeing huge wait times for care. You know, I know when I was working at the clinic, particularly with the borderline personality disorder services, that was one that just continued to have a really, really long wait list for services. And so, yeah, so we definitely tend to have shorter wait times and it can be more individualized uh, because there's not that added pressure. You know, I don't necessarily have to say to someone, okay, we're doing 10 sessions, you know, this is where it begins, this is where it ends. You know, I, I'm gonna lean on the evidence to see what's suggested for whatever the mm -hmm. mental health condition or, or difficulty is the person is coming in with, but that can also be flexible. It could, you know, expand beyond that if, if something else becomes uncovered through that work. So it's a lot more individualized. Mm -hmm. You guys probably know this from school and this is the ACT therapist in me. I am a big fan of metaphors um, and so you know I'm not trying to to be you know minimizing of anyone's struggle but from the business side of things I like to think of private practice a bit kind of like a, a custom car shop whereas the hospital could be more like an assembly line service. The, the idea is to get that volume, um, to get the same kind of quality, a good quality across the board to as many people as we can. Whereas with us, it's, it's a lot more customizable. Yeah, I love that. That explanation there. I think that's so true. And what you mentioned about waitlist, absolutely. We've seen just through our practicums, Navi and I, that we might have consults with individuals way back in the summer and then we're seeing them the next later on in the year or maybe even further later than that. And that's been very difficult for people because we've noticed that within that waiting time also, their struggles change. Sometimes they worsen or they get better. Maybe they don't need it. And then do they go back on the wait list if they're not they're not needing the therapy right now so it always feels like we're trying to catch up but there just aren't enough resources to really support the people that do need that help right now but I'm wondering on that end Alicia what are some of those challenges that do come up in a private practice setting so balancing for example that mixture between that business but also providing that therapy have you noticed any of these come up for you yeah, I mean, certainly the hospital is well-resourced when it comes to, like, additional medical services. You know, when we're working at a psychiatric clinic at a hospital, you know, there's a psychiatrist usually next door that I can kind of knock on the door of and, and say, you know, uh, this person's really been struggling, you know, do you think you might be able to see them? So there's a more integrated diverse team available usually in in those settings and again this is where you know the idea was was born to try to bring a psychiatrist in um, to Lotus because there is definitely a need and you know we're seeing wait times to access a psychiatrist impact our clients um, in terms of like the therapy. So if someone's medications aren't working well for them 
um, or they really need medications and their doctor doesn't feel comfortable prescribing them or maybe just can't get them right, um, it's really difficult because it, it kind of feels like therapy has to be put on pause until that um, person can be seen by a psychiatrist, which, you know, we're averaging like six to 12 months um, for, for that to happen. So I really like that kind of in-house structure. And then that is something definitely that uh, the hospital has. I think, you know, I think commonly you'll see therapists struggle with being a therapist and a business person and you know you guys probably know this all too well you're you're being trained to be a therapist you're not being trained to run a private practice so when you're done school you know you can have very well-intended folks coming out there trying to start private practices and just getting kind of lost in the business department i feel fortunate with my background that I have the experience to be able to also kind of launch the business side of things. But I think that that's probably a common struggle, you know, is just blending the needs of the clients you see as an individual therapist with the needs of the business overall. And so I think that that's probably, that's probably the most common challenge that I hear from, from folks as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely agree with that because anytime I've thought about, you know, a private practice for myself in the future, that's an area that I see as a little bit of an obstacle or a barrier where I feel like I would need some external support, uh, bringing someone in who has that business background, just because you're right, we're not being trained to be business people, we're being trained as therapists. So it is this huge other side of it. And it sounds like with your business background, it was so helpful for you to actually be able to launch this. And I love the idea of what you said earlier, where the money that comes in is being put back into the, the practice, right? And thinking of it that way in that business model is such a helpful way to go about it because you're right, you're, you're able to invest more for your clients, increase your space, hire more professionals, whatever it might be. Absolutely. And, you know, I've seen a distinction in that recently, too, where, you know, private practice has become very, very busy as well. Um, Like I was saying before, the need for mental health care is really high. And, you know, I think that growing the business in the way that we have is is one option you know you can always just go the sole proprietor route and you know just be your own business and have your own office and um, you know not necessarily expand to to create a team but one thing that I've noticed and I've heard actually too even from clients coming in is because individual practitioners are so busy they're finding it really challenging to get back to people who are inquiring in a timely manner and you know and it's understandable because they probably barely have enough time to be seeing their current clients um, you know let alone responding to new inquiries in a timely way and, and things like that so you know certainly the decision to invest in into like an intake coordinator or office administrator um, you know, certainly kind of push back the profit rate, <laughs> growth rate probably, but I think ultimately it's creating a business infrastructure where people feel supported from the front door. You know, someone's calling you back within 24 hours because that's someone's job, right? And, and if I had to call people back within 24 hours, I probably wouldn't. Um, you know, if it was just me, I was really, really struggling to do that in the early days. And that was actually one of the first one of the first hires that that I did was someone to help manage the intake. 
I can only imagine how much work that would be not only to manage your own caseload, to find clients, and then to call them back. There's so many things that you have to do just as a therapist beyond just seeing an individual for an hour setting. You have to like pre-plan what you want to do before you meet them and then afterwards what that would look like. So I can imagine doing all that alone. It would be very, very, very time consuming and challenging. So that makes complete sense that that was the first person that you're like, nope, I need that support. Yes. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) But Alicia, I'm wondering, are there any final thoughts that you have about private practice or even sharing any advice on folks that might be thinking about reaching out for help and where they should look at in terms of where to even go to start for asking for that supportive help if they need it? Absolutely. Um, I think always a great place that you can start is your family doctor. A lot of the family doctors have a person or two that they are connected to or that are confident in and, and they can offer support either through you know medication, diagnosis, putting referrals in. But I think when it comes time to make that decision of, you know, am I going to try to put a referral in to say the hospital or a community counseling setting versus am I going to uh, pursue private practice? There's, there's a lot of things that you have to think about as an individual and, you know, one being the cost for sure. I would say the average going rate right now for therapy is between 125 and 150 an hour for a private therapist. I think another thing that's really important for people to consider is how much coverage do you have? Like if you do have um, insurance, um, it's helpful to know what that coverage looks like ahead of time. Um, And I know sometimes we have those conversations with clients right up front where they'll say, you know, I only have $500. So is there any way we can structure it like this or move it like that? And I always try to work with people within their budgets. Some people offer sliding scale rates as well. So you can always inquire about that. And basically what that means is that they would charge based on your income or your ability to pay for services. So, you know, that's something to consider. On the flip side of that, you want to consider how long you can wait because oftentimes there's going to be a pretty significant waiting period to get into some of these programs and the programs themselves may only be a certain amount of time for a certain amount of sessions for a very specific type of therapy. So I think that there's got to be some consideration to, is that what I'm looking for? Is that the best route for me? Um, and we, we see a lot of people who come in and have help, you know, with their family support and things like that. Psychiatry, psychotherapy, mental health is kind of one of the few two-tiered systems in, in healthcare. So, you know, it, it is... It is kind of a good thing um, in the sense that, you know, we have the option to be able to offer it privately. And hopefully, you know, I always think to myself, like, I'm, I'm hoping that we're taking some of the pressure off from the public health care setting and, and kind of trying to, to help alleviate that. So for people who do have excellent coverage, you know, 
why not come over to a private practice um, if it's not going to cost you any money out of pocket and you're able to have it covered it might be the better option and i think a lot of public health care settings family health teams psychiatric facilities and things like that they're asking that question more often like do you have coverage is this maybe an option for you to look into and i think that's a good question because it acknowledges the very real you know volume issue that we're having in public health care too that was a very long-winded answer, sorry. <laughs> no, I think that was so insightful, Alicia, and just so much to think about too when you are making that decision because you're right, there's all these factors to consider. Wait times is a huge one for sure as well as the budget, right, and how much you're willing to pay. So I really appreciate you sharing that with us and everything that you've shared today. It's been such an amazing conversation hearing more about your journey and just generally about what private practice looks like. Oh, thanks for having me. I love talking about it. <laughs> No, thank you so much for joining us. I think we learned so much about private practice and hopefully our listeners got a little bit more of insight into see what a private practice looks like and what services they can possibly reach out for within that sector. But thank you once again, Alicia, for joining us today and we will hopefully have another talk very soon. Thanks, guys. Just as we end, we wanted to remind you that this information is meant to be purely educational. We are not health professionals, just graduate students navigating these topics with you. Any podcast content is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We recommend that you always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider with any questions regarding your mental health and well-being. We also wanted to share some resources with you. So through our conversation with Alicia, there are various resources where you can seek private practice support. This includes Psychology Today. This is an online platform where you can find therapists, look at their credentials, and they also offer a layer of protection so you know that the individuals who are on Psychology Today have been reviewed by the members posting them on the website. Another area to seek out that mental health support could include a family health team. So reaching out to your family doctor who can then connect you with either a private practice or also a hospital center. You can also reach out to various hospitals in your own local cities to help you get connected with various mental health services that they offer. In addition, there's also Mood Disorders Association of Ontario, which offers free support groups and recovery programs for people across Ontario, Kids Help Phone, Good to Talk, Connects Ontario, Wellness Together Canada, Virtue Mental, Open Path Collective, which is also a platform where you can seek different therapists who provide both in-office and online psychotherapy services for affordable rates. On a sliding scale, this is both based in the U.S. and in various places in Canada. But as always, we also encourage you to reach out to your own local resources and ask for support from them if you need it. You can connect with us through our email, which is sotellmemorepodcast at gmail.com and our Instagram page at sotellmemorepodcast. You can check out our Instagram for future updates and it's a great way to share what you're interested in hearing on our podcast or any feedback that you might have for us. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast listening app, and we greatly appreciate your ongoing support. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you learned something new or simply enjoyed our exploration of private practice. We're excited to continue exploring new topics in future episodes, but for now, stay safe and take care.